Hi everyone, it's JC, the You Made New podcast episode five. Um, really excited to dive in again today. I've been laughing as I've been preparing my thoughts for today because I, I'm wondering if it, if anybody's thinking, wait, JC, I thought we were going to talk about food, like you know, calories and macros and <clears throat> good food and bad food and what I should eat and a plan and what's what's the best food. <laughs> I I don't know. Maybe we'll get to that, but. I hope you can see in the last four episodes, all of that is just the outward stuff. And we've said this over and over. We're going deep into our minds to, to flip the way we see this whole battle. And we're going to continue that today. So no, I'm not going to talk about carbs and protein and fat. And um, I don't know where we'll get in the end, but today... It still has got to be centered in the scriptures, centered in using the right weapons, centered in seeing this as first and foremost, a spiritual battle. And then we're going to pick up right where we left off in 2 Corinthians 10, where we talked about how to fight with the right weapons. And Paul explains that as casting down imaginations that exalt themselves above God, casting down these thought processes and belief systems that have kept us stuck and beginning to use new weapons that will really demolish our strongholds, especially the stronghold with food, the battle, the struggle, the monster that we can just never overcome. Now we're trying to see it in a new way. And as I've thought about casting down imaginations, like Paul said, we did say in the last episode that one of the main things we need to cast down is the world's mentality on how to fight this. The world's weapons on using your willpower and holding your breath and keeping these rules, the self-imposed rules from this diet or that diet and trying to gain control by wrestling it through our willpower, that we're going to cast that down. But so many of us have been highly trained in that line of thought for decades that we may think, well, what, what do I put in its place? Is the only thing in its place just to say, forget it. I'm just eating whatever I want. No diets are out. Let's just go crazy. And <laughs> okay. What I want to do today is paint a picture of the first step as we're moving away from the world system. What does it look like to move to a gospel centered approach in our battle with food? I believe there's a very, very strong first step that if we don't take it, we won't get anywhere. We'll be right back to the world system. We, we just will derail, will derail us right now. And to me, it's put simply the thought that rather than battling this and trying and trying and trying, we shift gears, we do a full 180 and we admit that we can't do this on our own and we need a savior. We fully admit that full self-honesty acknowledgement. I can't, I can't overcome this. I'm, I'm done. I'm giving up. I'm waving the white flag. I can't do this. Full on acknowledgement that I don't have the resources. I don't have the ability left to my own efforts. I will fail and I'll do it again and again and again. Now, some of you may think, okay, yeah, duh. That's not that. I can do that. But I want to hash this out for a minute because I think the thing we often forget when it comes to a full admission of our dependence, our need for a savior, our need for a rescuer, an admission of our weakness, 
that idea is is completely opposite from the mantra chanted in our culture continually. You're strong. You can do it. You're amazing. Whatever the mind can conceive, it can achieve. Nike, just do it. Like every diet program, every infomercial that we watch, it's a picture of someone else who's lost all this weight and they're looking at the camera and they're saying, I did it. You can do it. Pumping us up, telling us we're amazing. The, the cultural mantra is you're awesome. Don't admit defeat. Don't admit you're weak. You can do it. You can do it. And we get all pumped up by that rhetoric. And that's why we start the new diet on Monday, because the world has a very different approach. The world never says to us, yeah, just admit you can't. Have you ever heard a TED talk on that? <laughs> okay, but, but truthfully, and we're going to go into scripture, that is the gospel first step. That is the Lord's way of fighting these battles is number one. We have to wave the white flag on our own efforts. We have to fully and completely embrace the idea that we can't. In fact, um, I've used the 12 step program a lot in my coaching. And sometimes that freaks people out because people are like, you know what? This is just food. This is just some food struggles. I just have a little bit of issue with emotional eating or stress eating. This is not in the realm of 12 step programs and addiction. And those are for people with much bigger problems than me. I mean, you can hear kind of, I even felt that way when I first started toying with the word addiction. I just was like in a lot of denial, like, oh, it's not that bad, you know, and we can say, okay, wait, JC, it's just food. It's just food. Like it's not, it's not full-blown addiction. Like I don't need a 12-step program. And so we, we back away. But the reason I'm highlighting this is because the very first step in all 12, 12-step programs is that admission of powerlessness. I can't, I can't do this on my own. I need help. Like full on a hundred percent, not, not, I can get myself partway there. And then I just need a little help when my strength gives out. No, this is like a hundred percent. I can't. And so I know that might be like, oh man, do I, is my battle with food really that serious? Like I kind of can't, I do. Okay. We start going into this world of rationalization. Um, like, oh, you know, it's just a few extra donuts, I'm not an alcoholic. We've talked about this a little bit before in other episodes, but the thing I would ask you again in your battle with food, whatever that looks like for you and all, all of ours look very different. If it's binging or overeating or sugar or in eating disorder or, um, just obsessiveness, whatever it looks like. Yeah, it's just food. You're right. It's just food. <laughs> Nothing illegal about forking down a Snickers bar, you know, it's just food. Everybody does it. But my question would be, what, what has this battle cost you? How much of your mental state has been affected? How much emotionally have you suffered because of this? I'm not just saying yes, physically, there's often a cost our health. Um, we're, we're completely, we've lost our health. We can't again, walk up a flight of stairs without wheezing and we can't run with our kids and we can't, you know, there's a lot of things we can't do health wise, but we're like, Oh, it's still, it's not that big of a deal. But again, what has this cost you? And then the second question would be, have any of your efforts ever brought true freedom? 
True freedom. Now, I'm not talking about just, yeah, I've been able to lose some weight. I've, I, I've done but I'm talking about full freedom from the tyranny <laughs> of food and, and peace, complete peace in this area of your life. Have you got there through the world system? Have any of the diets you've tried or any of the, the theories or philosophies out there healed this in your life? That's why we're going to come to the point where we're going to say, you know what? No. Again, I've been successful in the world system many times over the years where I've been able to lose some weight, kind of start eating healthy for a while. And, but number one, it never lasted. <laughs> and number two, it didn't bring freedom or peace because really I was having to live in this kind of really obsessive place to stay in that smaller size. I'd have to think about food and track it and, 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 plan things out and obsess about every bite. And I wasn't in a world of peace. I had just exchanged one set of problems for another. Like it didn't fix it. It didn't heal it. And so this is a moment of self-honesty where we're kind of going, okay, really? I need to fully admit a hundred percent. I can't do this. I need a savior. I need help. I need a rescuer. That's what Christ is. That's what the gospel program is about. But for so many of us, we struggle. We fight to to accept that. We want to be the strong ones. We want to tackle this. We want to be able, and again, our world is pushing us to, to say this. You're strong. You got this. You can do it. You don't need help. You'll be okay. <laughs> and I'm I'm proposing a full-on shift from that. Like a 180. No, I can't. And embracing that. And that can make us squirm. Um, author Jenny Allen in her book, Nothing to Prove. I, ch- I quote Jenny a lot, but I love her stuff. And again, she's not talking about food, but don't tell me this doesn't apply. <laughs> she says, um, someone has to save us. You know, we can't save ourselves. We can't do this by ourselves. And she talks about... Um, She says, you know, thankfully, our story does have a hero, but the hero isn't you and it isn't me. We want to be the heroes of our story, she said. The hero has all the resources. The hero has all the power. The hero has all the control. Those who are being rescued have none of that. They just have need. They're flailing in the water or lying crumpled on a closet floor crying into a dingy t-shirt. They have anything but resources and power and control. And see, again, this is me now. I mean, we squirm at the thought of admitting weakness, admitting need for a rescuer. We want to be the hero. That's the, that's the story of the ages right now. We don't want others to, we don't want to admit weakness. And so we, we struggle with letting there be another hero in our story. There is one who can rescue us and save us and, and just help us conquer this addiction or this fight with food in a way that will change our lives so drastically we we won't even find words to describe it. It's just the admission that we've got to turn it over to him and let him do the saving that he is prepared to do. Quit fighting him like, no, no, I can kind of do it. I'm I'm drowning, but I'm I'm fending off the the rescuer because I'm like, no, no, let me dog paddle for a minute. I got this. I got this. No, I'm not going down. I'm not going down. Do you see how not embracing our need for a rescuer keeps us in a terrible place. Jenny says, she finishes by saying, um, I used to think the best ending to a dark and difficult story was to be the hero. But now I realize 
that being rescued is actually the most freeing, beautiful resolution to a story. This isn't like this awful shoulder shrugging like, oh, yeah, I, I suck. I can't do this. I, it's not this defeated. It's a beautiful letting go of our efforts to, to save ourselves from drowning and to say, you know what? I'm done trying to fight this with the world's weapons. But the only way to turn to a gospel-centered approach is to admit our powerlessness. To admit it. Embrace it. Not see that as a shameful thing. Our world tried to, to tell us that it is shameful to admit need and admit weakness. Christ loves it when we do this. He loves it. Think of his approach with the people during his ministry. And again, we've talked about this a lot, but let's tie it in one more time. The sinners who came to Christ, who knew their need, they knew they were messed up. They fell at his feet. They came for a rescuer. The Pharisees who were the ones that said, no, 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 I got this. I got this. I can do this. I don't need a rescuer. I'm not drowning. They got his wrath because they, they rejected their need for a savior and turned to self-salvation. Okay, how often have we done this in our battle with food? Self-salvation, like, I got it. Next diet, I can do this. I can do this. If I put enough reminders taped to my mirror and enough settings, you know, to pop up on my phone, to pump me up, self-salvation, self-salvation. I got this through my willpower, through reading other people's stories. I'll get pumped up. I got it. But it's power in my own works, in my own strength. No admission of a need for a savior at all. And so I get stuck in that place and I'm just like the drowning victim trying to paddle, doggy paddle and doggy paddle and keep my nose above water when the food monster is still fighting to take us under. We crash and burn and we go under the water. We binge and we're like, okay, no, 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 I can't. I, and so we fight some more. We fight to keep our head above water, but we're not, we're not getting anywhere. Admission of powerlessness allows the rescuer to save us. We cannot go any further in our walk with Christ and finding healing from him in this area of our lives until we admit that we need him that we can't do it on our own 100%. No more self-effort. Let me show you one example of this in scripture. It comes from Matthew 5, from the Sermon on the Mount. And we know the Beatitudes backwards and forwards. Most of us that know scripture, we've read this part. This is not unfamiliar to us. Blessed are the, this and this and this. Let's just start with the first one, which is verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, and he's talking in this whole section about how to access those, how, how do we find the kingdom? How do we access and open the door to, to reach the kingdom of God? And he said, number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, poor, the word poor in Greek, and I won't pronounce it, so I'm not going to try. The word poor, the Greek word used there means beggar. Poverty, beggar. One who lives solely off of the alms of others. A beggar. Blessed are the beggars, he says. You're blessed when you see yourself in your poverty. I have nothing to give. I have no resources to throw at this anymore. I need, I need his alms. I need his resources. I am a beggar in this thing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, think about that for a minute. Have I ever seen it that way? I quote all, um, Oswald Chambers a lot. 
and I'm going to do it again. <laughs> and it's from that same book, My Utmost for His Highest. But I love this one so much. I don't have very many glue-ins in my scriptures where I've just tucked it right in there, but this is one of them that's been there for years. And it's glued right into the Sermon on the Mount. And the quote's actually much longer this uh, longer than this. I'm only going to use a part of it. Um, his book is broken up into... Um, each day. So it's not a page number. If you want to go read his book, this is the entry from July 21st, if you want to go find it. But he said, you know, talking about this, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's, he's referring exactly to this. He says the teaching of the sermon on the Mount produces a sense of despair in the natural man, exactly what Jesus means for it to do. Now, listen, listen, as long as we have some self-righteous idea that we can carry out our Lord's teaching, teaching, God will allow us to continue until we expose our own ignorance by stumbling over some object in our way. Only then are we willing to come to him as paupers and receive from him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the first principle of the kingdom of God. Having such a sense of absolute futility that we finally admit, Lord, I cannot even begin to do it. Then Jesus says, blessed are you. This is the doorway to the kingdom. And yet it takes so long for us to believe that we are actually poor. The knowledge of our own poverty is what brings us to the proper place where Jesus Christ accomplishes his work. Okay. And again, let's apply this to the battle with food. We may think, have some self-righteous idea, like he said, that we, we can do this. I can do this. I can tackle this. And so he's going to let us continue in that until we finally get to the point. Maybe some of us, it takes decades where we've had enough failures. We keep trying the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Until we finally, he said, expose our own ignorance by these stumbling blocks. And only then will we come to him as paupers, as beggars, poor in spirit, recognizing finally We cannot save ourselves in this thing. And then he says, Jesus is blessed are you. You finally see it. I've been waiting for you to get to this point. I've been waiting for you to open your eyes, to see your need for me and to quit doggy paddling and let, just let me rescue you. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. Beautiful thing. That's why he died. He didn't die to sit on the shore and watch us doggy paddle and try to save ourselves in this thing. He has all the power and all the resources necessary to heal us. So this battle is over. But we have to admit our powerlessness. I I think it's... It can be totally easy for some of us to just go, you know what? That feels so good to just embrace that. To just no longer shame myself and think I have to try harder and, and just you know, just beat myself up again and again for all my failures to just let go of my efforts and just admit I need a rescuer. But for some of us, this is might be the hardest step in the world. I remember talking to a friend once that said, she said, you know, my mom raised me to be independent. We don't need anyone's help. We're going to be strong women. Um, as a single mom raising kids and she taught her daughter to be fiercely independent. But of course she, She's human like the rest of us. She has a natural man like the rest of us, a flesh, um, weakness like the rest of us. And when she began to come face to face with that weakness as a young mother, 
as we all do in motherhood, it was so hard for her because it had been um, just planted into her mind for so long. No, be strong, be strong. You're not weak. And again, we've grown up in this culture. So for some of us, this may be a very difficult step and we may need to fall on our faces and ask for his help to humble ourselves and see our powerlessness and then embrace it to let go of our pride to think, yeah, I can do this. I got this. I want to, I want to tackle this. Let me read you one more quote. I know my time's kind of short, but this one's powerful. This comes from John Piper in his book, Future Grace. And he's talking about this shift. So he says, consider the difference between a heart of faith and a heart of works. The heart of works gets satisfaction from the ego boost of accomplishing something in its own power. It might be a religious thing or a worldly thing, or I'd say a diet. What matters is that the heart feels it has achieved something to boast in, all for the satisfaction of conquering a challenge by the force of its own will and the stamina of its own body. The basic satisfaction of the works orientation is the savor of being an assertive, autonomous, and if possible, triumphant self. Being the hero, right? Oh, it feels so good. I've conquered. Look what I did. And I can post it all over social media. I can tell people I lost 50 pounds. Look what I did. And it's this, it's this ego boost. He says the heart of faith is radically different. If works wants the satisfaction of feeling itself overcome an obstacle, Faith savors the satisfaction of feeling God overcome an obstacle. Works longs for the joy of being glorified as capable and strong and smart. Faith longs for the joy of seeing God glorified for his capability and strength and wisdom. In its religious form, works accepts the challenge of morality, conquers its obstacles through great exertion, and offers the victory to God as a payment for his approval and recompense. Faith too accepts the challenge, but only on this occasion to become the instrument of God's power. And when the victory comes, faith rejoices that all the glory and thanks belong to God. Belong to God. You going to keep trying to be the hero in your own story? Is it working for you? Is it working? Maybe on the outside it has for a time, a little bit, and you've been able to post some pictures and show some success, but inside, are you healed? Is it over? Are you at peace with food? Or do you really, in the dark of the night, when all those, you know, masquerade and the masks have fallen off and you see yourself in your true condition, could we just admit, you know what, this isn't working. This isn't working. I'm tired trying to doggy paddle my way out of the deep. I need a rescuer and I'm starting to see that that's a beautiful thing. It's not, it's something that Christ adores in his followers. That's all he's looking for. That's all he wanted the Pharisees to do was admit they needed a savior. It's the one thing they would never do in our fight against the flesh. At some point we have to admit our powerlessness and come to him like the woman with the issue of blood that just knew if she could just touch the hem of his garment, it would be healed. And it was, she had tried everything else for 12 years. Can we be at that point? And if we're not, can we pray for the strength to come to that point, to stop, to cast down the imaginations that had come from the world system of food control and conquering and, and success 
and take the 180 and come to the Lord as paupers and admit that we need him. Everything will change after that. Everything. I hope that blesses you this week. I hope you can think about it, pray about it, and let the Lord soften your heart so that we can move forward from this point, admitting our need for the Lord. Thanks for joining me.